Joe Biden rolls out his vaccine mandate. Democrats struggle for answers after the Virginia election nightmare. And the prosecution's case against Kyle Rittenhouse simply does not exist. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't like big tech and the government spying on you? Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, let me just tell you, I really own only one type of t-shirt. It is t-shirts from Cuts Clothing. And the reason is they are super comfortable and they fit you fantastically well and they are incredibly durable. Like you don't tend to think a lot about the t-shirts that you buy because you just kind of go over to whatever store there is and then buy the $10 t-shirt. The thing is, that thing's a piece of crap. You really should get a really nice t-shirt from Cuts Clothing and they don't just do t-shirts. In 2016, Cuts founder Stephen Borelli felt boxed in by his wardrobe. He hated having to compromise between style and comfort. So he decided to do something about it and started with reinventing the humble plain tee. And the result is a tee that GQ calls the only shirt worth wearing. It's stylish enough for the boardroom or the street, comfortable enough for workouts in the gym or nights out at the club. It's just that good. Cuts has now just released their new always-on joggers designed to never take a day off, even when you do. Whether you're commuting to the office or out on a date, Cuts joggers offer comfort that never quits and style that never disappoints for a wardrobe as ambitious as you are. It's been seen on some of the world's most elite athletes, by the way, people like Patrick Mahomes and Damian Lillard and Tim Tebow and Bryce Harper, just to name a few. As I say, I threw out all my other t-shirts. I only wear cuts. It's not just a lifestyle. It's not just clothing. It's work leisure apparel for the sport of business. Get 15% off your first order at cutsclothing.com slash Ben. That is cutsclothing.com slash Ben for 15% off your first order, cutsclothing.com slash Ben. Well, we have a lot of news and a lot of different areas to get to today. Why don't we begin with the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which has finally opened. This, of course, is the trial of the 17-year-old, at least he was 17-year-old at the time, young man who was in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He was there to help with medical care for people on the ground and also to prevent rioters from burning down businesses and burning cars and such. And the entire situation ended with three people shot and two people dead. Kyle Rittenhouse has been charged now with murder. There's one problem. There's no case against Kyle Rittenhouse. I mean, there really is no case at all against Kyle Rittenhouse. They brought up a sort of minor gun charge. That one is, is a little more controversial, but the murder case just, it never existed. And the fact that this was ever brought to trial just demonstrates how political our judicial system sometimes is. It demonstrates that if a prosecutor gets it in their head that they must prosecute somebody regardless of the facts on the ground, they will do so even when the case just simply does not exist. And we know that the case against Rittenhouse doesn't exist because the prosecution yesterday brought forth a bunch of witnesses and they all promptly testified to Rittenhouse's self-defense case. And so Rittenhouse's argument is that he shot the people who were threatening him in self-defense. And the prosecution really, really struggled because it turns out that we knew from the very first day, right? As soon as the video footage emerged, we knew exactly what was going on in the Rittenhouse case. And it was that he had shot people in self-defense. So for example, this entire incident, the timeline of the Kyle Rittenhouse incident started when Rittenhouse essentially was chased down the street by some people who were threatening him. And a gunshot was fired in the air. He turned around and there was a guy who was lunging for him. And so he shot the guy. Here is video. This is courtesy of ABC News. This is video from that night. This is the first shooting. A man who police identified as Rittenhouse runs across the parking lot of an auto service shop, followed by a shirtless man who was later identified as Joseph Rosenbaum. Moments later, shots ring out. Okay, now you can stop it right there. You heard a shot before the narrator says moments later, shots ring out. Okay, well, that first shot was actually not Rittenhouse. That was somebody who was chasing him, firing a shot into the air. Rittenhouse is running away. He has no idea where the shot's coming from. Then it turns out that Rosenbaum, who it 
also turns out was a career criminal, is chasing him down and is lunging for his gun. Okay, so that is shooting number one. Okay, so now we move on to shooting number two. Rittenhouse is now being chased down the street by a bunch of ne'er-do-wells, and, um, and they physically assault him. And there, one person comes at him with a gun. He shoots that guy in the arm. Another person tries to hit him in the face with a skateboard. He shoots him and kills him. Right, here is that video. Again, this is all on video, guys. He falls down. You can see he raises the gun. There's somebody trying to hit him with the skateboard. He shoots the, he shoots the guy. And then there's a guy who approaches him. He has a pistol in his hand, right? The guy approaching him has a pistol in his hand. Okay, so all of that is on video, right? Uncontroverted. It's on video. Pretty clearly and obviously a case of self-defense. The prosecution is trying to argue that Rittenhouse started the fight. That Rittenhouse essentially insulted a guy or tried to initiate conflict with Rosenbaum, who was originally chasing him. And the big problem is that it's pretty clear that's not what happened. And there's FBI inferred video. So it turns out the FBI has eyes on nearly everything happening in the United States, apparently. We never saw this video until now. And you can see from the video exactly how this went down. So you have person of interest one and person of interest two. Okay, and you see that they're having some sort of conversation between the cars. And then person of interest two starts running away, being chased by person of interest one. So what the prosecution is attempting to claim is that person of interest one, who is Rosenbaum, was confronted by Rittenhouse. But that's not what the testimony of the prosecution's own witnesses said. They said that it's precisely the opposite. So there's a witness named Ryan Balch. And he was, again, he was called by the prosecution. This guy was not called by the defense. And Ryan Balch says in open testimony that Rosenbaum had said earlier that if he caught Rittenhouse alone, he would kill him. Okay, that's not, the prosecutors called this guy. This is their case? The prosecutors? Here we go. When I turned around, Rosenbaum was right there in front of my face, yelling and screaming. And I would say, dude, back up. Just chill. I don't know what your problem is. And he goes, you know what? If I catch any of you guys alone tonight, I'm going to kill you. And he said that to you? Correct. Did he say that to the defendant as well? The defendant was there. So, yes. That's the prosecutor's witness. Whoops. That's not good. Now, again, this is all undercut. The entire prosecution case here was undercut by all the footage from the evening of. In fact, the prosecutors tried to bar testimony and bar, bar actual video of Rittenhouse talking before any of this happened. Because there's video from Rittenhouse earlier in the night talking about why he was there in Kenosha, Wisconsin in the first place. This does not sound like a guy who went out to, to shoot some people in the middle of a riot. So people are getting injured, and our job is to protect this business, and part of my job is to also help people. If there's somebody hurt, I'm running into harm's way. That's why I have my rifle, because I need to protect myself, obviously. But I also have my med kit. We're protecting from the citizens, and I just got pepper sprayed by a person in the crowd. So you had non-lethal, but you, you didn't respond. We don't have non-lethal. So you guys are full on ready to defend the property. Yes, we are. Now, if I can ask, can you guys step back? Medical, EMS right here. I'm an EMT. Okay, so then the prosecution, and then he goes in this video, he's trying to help one of the rioters. <laughs> then the, uh, the prosecution tries to bring a second witness. This is a guy named Richie McGinnis, who's a reporter for The Daily Caller, who you can see in the original video who is following after Rittenhouse and, uh, and Rosenbaum as they are running down the street. And after Rosenbaum is shot, you can see Richie McGinnis take off his shirt and try and provide some sort of medical care for Rosenbaum. And so the 
prosecutor tries to ask Richie McGinnis, so he was falling over Rosenbaum when he was shot, right? Like he, he just, he tripped and then he was wrongfully shot by Rittenhouse. And he was shot for, for no reason because he was just falling over. And then Rittenhouse wanted to kill him. So he killed him. So it's not self-defense. And Richie McGinnis is like, well, no, actually, let me explain. Because I kind of caught up to them. Um, I was running a bit faster. And so uh, at the time, initially, I was probably 30 feet back when the first, when everybody first started running. But then by the time I arrived in the lot, it was 15 feet. And you continue to be behind Mr. Rosenbaum at the time that the defendant shot and killed him, correct? Um, I did alter my trajectory a little bit um, when I saw Mr. Rittenhouse turn around and saw Mr. Rosenbaum um, lunging for the front portion of the rifle. Lunging for the front portion of the rifle. And the prosecutor tries to push him and tries to say, well, was he falling over? And, uh, and the witness says, no, he said, F you and reached for the weapon. So, yeah, not, not great. Not great, Bob, for the, for the prosecution. Now, the way the media are trying to portray this is as though it's just a sort of a conflict of visions. The Associated Press says jurors heard starkly different portrayals of Kyle Rittenhouse, instigator or victim, in opening statements at his trial on Tuesday on charges of shooting three people on the streets of Kenosha during a turbulent protest against racial injustice. A prosecutor said Rittenhouse set the bloodshed in motion when he triggered a confrontation with a man that night and then killed him with a bullet to the back. Rittenhouse's attorney told the jury his client acted in self-defense after the man tried to grab Rittenhouse's gun and others kicked the teen in the face and clubbed him in the head with a skateboard. And one of those stories is true and one of those stories is not. And the prosecution's story is not true. And then they called a bunch of witnesses who ripped apart their own case. This thing never should have been in front of a jury. So in a second, we're going to discuss why it was in front of a jury in the first place. And what this says about, again, institutional trust in the United States, which is now at all-time lows first. Let's talk about a simple fact. It is never too early to start gift shopping for the holidays, especially because today you can save big on a gift they will use every day, Raycon wireless earbuds. With seamless Bluetooth pairing and a comfortable noise-isolating fit, you can start listening right away and keep listening for hours. The audio quality is amazing. It's comparable to what you get from other premium brands, except Raycons start at half the price. The new everyday earbuds, they come with three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds its best with just the right amount of bass. They got pure mode for podcasts. They've got balanced mode for rock. They've got bass mode for hip-hop, so you can really rev up the bass. Raycons offer eight hours of playtime, 32-hour battery life. There's also a built-in mic. You can take calls on your earbuds at the press of a button. So this holiday season, get them something they can use for calls or music, for work or play, at home or on the go, or pick up a pair yourself. You're going to be using them every day the way that I do. Go to buyraycon.com slash Ben today. Unlock exclusive deals up to 20% off your Raycon order. Hurry. This offer is available for a limited time only. You don't want to miss it. That's buyraycon.com slash Ben. Unlock up to 20% off your Raycons. That's buyraycon dot com slash Ben. Alrighty, so given the fact that the prosecution case is just a complete crap show here, why exactly was it brought in the first place? And the answer is because we live in a society where the media will not allow a case not to be brought so long as the purported victimizer is of the wrong political persuasion. Okay, there, there is no way that if this were a left-wing person who had shot a couple of Proud Boys in the streets and the video were available like this, that this prosecution is ever brought. It is just too weak a case. Politics, unfortunately, is now telescoped into individual cases of justice. We're no longer a country where individual cases are seen for what they are, judged on their fact patterns, judged on their merits. Instead, the outside politics of the players are telescoped into the proceedings. And that is exactly the wrong way to do this, right? Due process of law requires precisely the opposite. We saw this a lot with the Derek Chauvin trial in Minnesota. Regardless of what you think of Derek Chauvin's activities that day, and now the man has been convicted of murder, 
And regardless of what you think of the activities, there is still no evidence in the Derek Chauvin case that anything he did was motivated by racism. It, it didn't matter. It turned into a giant national referendum on whether police across the country were racist, despite the fact there was no evidence that Chauvin himself was racist or had done anything racist as opposed to just egregiously wrong in the confrontation with George Floyd. Now, everything is used as a stand-in for politics these days, and the Rittenhouse trial is just a perfect example of that. Because again, the prosecution has so little a case that they are calling witnesses who are rebutting the prosecution case. And they can't stop it. If somehow Rittenhouse is convicted here on the basis of the evidence that's being presented, you can only chalk that up to politics because there's literally no way to watch the testimony that's being given and not see that that's a self-defense case. And well, this goes to a broader issue in the American public mind, and that is institutional trust. So another major story that is, that is undermining institutional trust these days is the case of Igor Danchenko. So now, according to the Washington Post, an analyst who was a primary source for a 2016 dossier of allegations against Donald Trump has been arrested on charges that he repeatedly lied to the FBI about where and how he got his information, officials said on Thursday. Igor Danchenko's role in providing information to British ex-spy Christopher Steele, who compiled the accusations about Trump in a series of reports, has long been a subject of scrutiny from internal Department of Justice investigators and special counsel John Durham, according to people familiar with the investigations. Steele presented that dossier to the FBI. It was part of the basis for secret surveillance court orders targeting former Trump advisor Carter Page as the FBI investigated possible ties between the 2016 Trump presidential campaign in Russia. So you remember, the Steele dossier was used as the basis to target Carter Page. You remember that in January of 2017, before Trump's inauguration or right after Trump's inauguration, James Comey approached Donald Trump and told him about the Steele dossier. And that mere telling him about the Steele dossier was used as the predicate for BuzzFeed, then breaking the dossier wide on its website without vetting any of the details. And this became the basis of the Trump-Russia investigation. Right? Trump had deep ties to Russia. And for four long years, all we heard was that Trump was a Russian plant. The Steele dossier was still being trotted out as possibly true as late as like a few weeks ago. ABC News' George Stephanopoulos stat, sat down with Christopher Steele and Steele was maintaining that much of the data in there was still probably true. Well, it turns out that since 2017, like since the beginning, of the saga since the early days of 2017, the FBI knew that the key source for the Steele dossier was lying to them. They didn't know that in 2018, not 2019. In 2017, no prosecution, no attempts to, to quash, the no, no public statements about why the Steele dossier was a load of crap. None of that. They just kept investigating, right? The Mueller investigation just kept going. A 2019 report by the Justice Department Inspector General found major problems with the accuracy of Danchenko's information. But the 39-page indictment unveiled on Thursday paints a more detailed picture of claims that were allegedly built on exaggerations, rumors, and outright lies. The indictment is likely to buttress Republican charges that Democrats and FBI agents intentionally or accidentally turned cheap partisan smears into a high-stakes national security investigation of a sitting president. It doesn't just buttress it, it proves it. And the Democrats laundered a bunch of dirty, probably Russian-provided misinformation through the FBI and then into the media and then back into law enforcement hands, where it was used as the basis for large swaths of the Mueller investigation. The indictment suggests Danchenko may have lied to Christopher Steele and others about where he was getting his information. Some of the material came from a Democratic Party operative with longstanding ties to Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton, according to the charges, rather than even a well-connected Russian with insight into the Kremlin. So it turns out that some of the information wasn't even coming from Russia. It was coming from inside the House, from somebody who's just working with Hillary Clinton. The Washington Post admits the allegations cast new uncertainty on some past reporting on the dossier by news organizations, including the Washington Post. 
Well, it's too late. Everybody won their Pulitzers and Donald Trump is no longer president. So victory achieved, gang. Zanchenko appeared briefly Thursday in federal court in Alexandria, Virginia, where his lawyer tried to enter a plea of not guilty on his behalf for five counts of making false statements. The judge didn't accept the plea because the hearing was not in arraignment and Zanchenko was released. So Andy McCarthy has a has a good piece over at New York Post about all of this titled Arrest Illustrates How the Steele Dossier Was a Political Dirty Trick Orchestrated by Hillary Clinton. We'll get to that in just one moment first. Right now, it's hard to find great employees to fill your jobs. There are just too many open jobs and not enough people who are coming back into the workforce. There's a good economic report out today shows that we added half a million jobs last month, which is indeed excellent news. But there's still a ton of people out of the workforce, which means that if you're trying to find the best employee, you really need to search with the best available tool. And that, of course, is ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter has an invite to apply feature. It gives you, the hiring manager, the power to pick your favors from top candidates. And right now, you can try that tool for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. How does Invite to Apply work? Well, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, they send you the most qualified people for your job. Then you can easily review the candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job. Lauren Webb, SVP of Talent Acquisition from Indula Health, raves about ZipRecruiter's Invite to Apply. She says, I love that feature because we have a much higher follow-through rate if I invite candidates. It's easy for me. It's easy for them. In fact, According to ZipRecruiter internal data, jobs where employers use ZipRecruiter's invite to apply get on average two and a half times more candidates, which helps make for a faster hiring process. You can see for yourself, just go to this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E to try ZipRecruiter for free. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. All right, so Andy McCarthy, who's been all over this since the very beginning for National Review, now he has a piece in the Washington Post about the prosecution of Danchenko. He says, Danchenko has been charged with five counts of lying to the FBI in interviews during 2017. As the Bureau struggled in futility to verify outlandish allegations that Donald Trump and his campaign were clandestine agents of the Kremlin. Those allegations were compiled in the so-called Steele dossier, which the FBI relied on in obtaining surveillance warrants from a secret federal court. The dossier was generated by the Clinton campaign. Its principal author was former British spy Christopher Steele. Steele's main source was Danchenko, a Russian native based in the United States who worked at the Brookings Institute a Washington think tank whose former president, Strobe Talbot, is a college friend of Bill Clinton's who worked in the Clinton State Department. At Brookings, Danchenko worked with Fiona Hill, later a member of Trump's National Security Council and a key witness in the first Trump impeachment over the unrelated Ukraine controversy. It was through Hill that Danchenko became acquainted with Steele, who ran a London-based intelligence firm. Durham's indictment alleges that Danchenko lied about two major points. First, he fabricated the claim that the president of the Russian-American Chamber of Commerce informed him that during the 2016 presidential campaign, Trump was involved in a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation with Putin. In reality, that conversation never happened. The chamber president is not identified by name in the indictment. After the Steele dossier became public, however, there was intense speculation that the chamber's founder, Sergei Milian, was a Steele dossier source. As I recounted in my book on Russiagate, says Andy McCarthy, Milian denied being a source of trash the dossier as fake news created by sick mind. Danchenko is also alleged to have concealed that one of his sources for the information he was giving to Steele was a longtime Dem Party operative who was close to the Clintons, having worked on both of Bill Clinton's successful presidential campaigns and Hillary Clinton's 2008 presidential campaign. That source was revealed on Thursday to be Chuck Dolan, a public relations executive who had Russian contacts referred to as PR Executive One in the indictment. The FBI interviewed Danchenko because it was desperately trying to corroborate the Steele dossier claims. One question Durham must be pressing is, what took the Bureau so long? The Obama DOJ brought the FBI's sworn claims to the secret federal foreign intelligence surveillance court in October 2016. The FBI is supposed to verify the allegations before going to court, but it didn't interview Danchenko, who was the main source, until January 2017. 
It was already obtaining its second 90-day spy warrants on Carter Page by that point. It appears that Durham theorizes the Trump-Russia collusion narrative was a political attack manufactured by the Clinton campaign. Relying on Zanchenko, Steele compiled the reports for Glenn Simpson, co-founder of an intelligence firm, Fusion GPS, which specializes in digging up political dirt. Fusion GPS was retained by Perkins Coy, the Clinton campaign's law firm. In September, Durham indicted former Perkins Coy Michael Sussman for making a false statement to the FBI while peddling Trump-Russia allegations the Bureau eventually found to be unsubstantiated. Durham, his charging instruments suggest the Clinton campaign used its agents to peddle the Trump-Russia rumors to the government and the media and used the fact Trump was being investigated as part of the campaign messaging. So in other words, if you are talking about Russian interference in the election, it's really Democratic interference in the election by suggesting that a chief issue in the election is whether Trump was a Russian cat's paw which, as you'll recall, was trotted out by the Clinton team throughout the election cycle. It turns out that the Russian probe, very likely, was just a piece of FBI manipulation by the Democratic Party, and then the FBI had to cover its own ass and so refused to actually investigate all of the people thoroughly who had given it the information in the first place until now. It's unbelievable. Eli Lake writes for Bloomberg. It's been clear for two years that Steele's dossier was garbage. That's mainly thanks to the work of Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz, who released a report in 2019 skewering the FBI. Durham's investigation has taken a different approach. His last two indictments suggest the FBI was not a villain, but a victim conned by Democratic operatives to pursue bogus investigations into the Trump campaign. Danchenko is charged with hiding his relationship to a prominent Democrat in interviews with the FBI about the dossier. Of course, that is Charles Dolan, as we were discussing. The real victim of these Democratic Party deceptions was not the FBI, however, says Eli Lake, but the, Democrat, but the American public. That's why Durham's investigation now in its third year remains not only relevant, but vital. It is an incredible thing. So what we have here, if, we, if we've got this right, what we have here is that the Steele dossier, which was used as the basis for the FBI opening an investigation into Donald Trump's campaign, which ended up splashed across the front pages of every major newspaper in 2016, and then after the election ended up being the basis of the Mueller investigation, which dogged Trump for four years. And in frustration at which, Trump started making bizarre phone calls and getting himself in all sorts of legal hot water. It turns out that all of that was because the media and the FBI decided to work along with the Democrats in order to take Trump down. Right? That's all that, it, that we're seeing here. And it took years for any of these prosecutions to take place. The FBI, it's, it's amazing. The FBI knew Danchenko was lying in 2017, in 2017. The calendar now says, according to my calculations, that it is 2021. What was the FBI doing all of this time? Institutional trust with the FBI has been broken for quite a while. It should be broken even further. These institutions, they are motivated by politics. Politics have infused them. When Donald Trump talked about the so-called deep state, people took that to mean that there was an active conspiracy of people working inside these departments. Sometimes that, that may be true. Right? There are a lot of these people who are working together, obviously, if, you, if you're looking at, for example, Peter Strzok and, and Lisa Page, if you're looking at, at that coupling, right, those people clearly had uh, similar priorities. But in reality, all this means is that there is a, a feedback loop of people who share the same political echo chamber. And you can apparently retail any piece of garbage to the FBI. And so long as it is coming from a Democratic source, they won't even check into the sources of the original dossier. They won't even check into it. And then they will launder it. This is what James Comey did. They will launder it through the press to the public and help to destroy the presidency of a sitting president of the United States. That is an amazing, amazing thing. Listen, I was loath to believe a lot of the early charges. There are some people who are on this way earlier than I was. That is for damn sure. 
That's because I have a certain level of baseline American trust in these institutions. That trust has been deeply shaken. If it hasn't been shaken for you, it's because you're not watching this closely enough. Already coming up, we're going to get to Joe Biden's vaccine mandate. Again, these institutions lose trust. So what do they do? They decide to double down and try to control every area of your life. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let's talk about your sleep quality. So I'll be honest with you, at the end of a long day, I am ready to sleep. I'm ready to go down. And, and the reality is that if you got a bad mattress, it, it makes it tough. You don't think about your mattress all that often because it's just whatever is on your bed. But you need a mattress that is made for you. This is where Helix Sleep comes in. Helix Sleep has a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete. It matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everybody's unique. Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattress is great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. Even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. So... If you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress you're matched to, the mattress comes directly to your doorship for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. They've got a 10-year warranty. You won't get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix has financing options as well, so you can go check them out. Go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. There's a reason my wife and I chose Helix Sleep. Helix is offering up to 200 bucks off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com. Slash Ben, that's slash Ben. Alrighty, so meanwhile, the Biden administration, never at a loss for authoritarian crackdowns, is released, they've released, as we mentioned yesterday at length, this OSHA vaccine mandate. It kicks into place on January 4th formally. There's some speculation that the reason the Biden administration is doing this is because they don't want it legally challenged. We at the Daily Wire have said we will not comply with this. We are not going to force our employees to get vaccinated. This is so anti-science. It is stupid all the way through. If you are vaccinated, you are good to go. If you're unvaccinated, you have chosen to be that way. And now, by the way, Pfizer is about to come on market with a pill that after COVID diagnosis lowers your rate of death and hospitalization by 90%. So if we weren't already done then, we are done now. We have been done for months, by the way. And if you're in a Southern state, you know this. If you're in an uptight Northern state, a Northeastern state, where they're still suggesting that you can be quadruple vaxxed and still be subject to the predations of COVID-19, even if you're not immunocompromised, then it's still going on for you. But if you're down here in Florida, it's pretty much done. And it's been done for quite a while because we're not crazy down here. Okay, well, the Biden administration is crazy. And now they're saying that every employer of more than 100 people in the United States must force their employees to vax or test weekly and wear a mask indefinitely, presumably forever. And if you refuse to do this, an unwillful violation costs you 14 grand. A willful violation, if you just say, no, I'm not doing that. It's not my business whether my employees are vaxxed at this point because everybody's had the opportunity to get vaxxed. If you say that, they will, they will send an OSHA agent to your place of work, and then they will attempt to fine you up, up to $140,000 per violation. They're aiming at small business. They're attempting to bankrupt companies they don't like. And by the way, I promise you that because we are filing a lawsuit, First day that this thing goes formally into effect in January, there will be an OSHA inspector at our door. I'm sure that is the case. Again, one of the reasons that they're delaying it is because what they're hoping is that if we file a lawsuit, a court will say it's not ripe because there's been no harm yet. And there's not, it, the case hasn't actually, you can't adjudicate it yet because there's been no harm. We filed for a preliminary injunction against this. Many states are doing the same. Hey, we need your help with that, by the way. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code do not comply to subscribe. That does help us out because us fighting on behalf of our employees and getting this law struck down on behalf of all Americans, this regulation that is unconstitutional and, by the way, illegal. 
on behalf of all Americans, that's in, in all of our interest. You can help us out by subscribing. and We really appreciate it. We need your help with that. But the goal of the Biden administration, I don't even think it's for this thing to take effect. I think this is all bull crap. I think that their goal here is essentially to pretend that they've done all they can do, get this thing struck down, and then move on with their lives. Sort of like their, their CDC eviction moratorium. You remember that Joe Biden said he didn't have the constitutional power to issue a further eviction moratorium because the Supreme Court had said he didn't. And then he did it anyway. And the reason he did it, knowing the Supreme Court was going to stay that particular order, is because he wanted to be able to say to his people, I did all I could. I, 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 did, I, I did all I could. That's what, that's what he wanted to say. Well, I, I feel like this is very much the same thing. See, Joe Biden has put himself in a box. The box is he said he could end COVID. He cannot end COVID. The only thing that Joe Biden could do is leave us alone. But he doesn't want to leave us alone because he requires COVID in order to ram through these giant spending bills in order to maintain control. And so now he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. The longer COVID goes on, the worse it is for the economy. The more these crackdowns go on, the worse it is for the economy. And as long as people are dying, COVID is not over from the perspective of Democrats. So long as infections are happening, even if they're happening because you chose not to get vaccinated, Democrats can't just say, well, you know, you made your decision and now it's on you. Instead, they have to say, no, 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 we said we were going to fix it. Okay, so Joe Biden is kind of stuck. What that means is he needs someone else to blame. So he'll, he's going to put this regulation out there. We're going to get it struck down. I have very little fear about that, really. And when that happens, he's going to throw up his hands and he's going to say, we did the best that we could. And by the way, it's not, they're all hypocrites anyway. They, they really are. I mean, the number of Democrats who are vaccinated but unmasking in public places when they've been told by the CDC not to, it's astonishing, right? The rules don't apply to the special people. I mean, Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC, was asked yesterday how many CDC employees, employees of the CDC were vaccinated. And she said she had no idea. What percent of CDC employees are vaccinated? We're actively encouraging vaccination in all of our employees and doing a lot of education and outreach in order to get our agency fully vaccinated. And the, but the percent? I, I don't have that for you today. Um, so... Yeah, of course she doesn't have that. By the way, I, I, I've noticed that the OSHA VAX requirements, the, the federal government isn't trying to attach, for example, strings to federal aid. So if you are a person who receives food stamps or welfare via the federal government, I'm noticing that they're not forcing you to VAX. Interesting how that works. Only employers. They're trying to turn employers into essentially the policemen of the state, which is a complete violation of both private property and state sovereignty. Because this is not a federal issue. This is a state issue. There's nothing in the Interstate Commerce Clause that gives OSHA the power to override the basic health powers of the states. The, the OSHA? OSHA? Come on. There's nothing in the, in the OSHA regulations that says that they can regulate literally until the end of time how you do your work at your business based on a virus that is not going to kill you if you are vaccinated by all statistics. Hey, and, and by the way, again, everyone's had the opportunity to get vaccinated. Hey, Joe Biden used to acknowledge he didn't have the power to do this. Now he just does it because he's an authoritarian. According to the Wall Street Journal, employers have until January 4th, 2020 to ensure their employees are vaccinated. After that date, employers have to verify that unvaccinated employees test negative for COVID-19 at least once a week. Employers need to show they are fully vaccinated, meaning they either receive two doses of Pfizer or Moderna or one Johnson & Johnson shot. Acceptable documents include a record of immunization from a health provider or pharmacy, a copy of a COVID-19 vaccination card, medical records, et cetera, et cetera. The agency plans to inspect some workplaces. A former OSHA official said the agency will likely not rely primarily on in-person inspections, but 
on company record keeping and worker reports of potential violations. Businesses that don't comply can face fines, as we say, of up to $14,000. And that is if uh, there is a mistake. If you are found to be unwilling, it can be up to $140,000. What will happen to unvaccinated workers who object to getting vaccinated or tested? It's possible employers would fire them. Some workers may choose to quit. About 40% of workers who are unvaccinated say they will leave their jobs rather than do this sort of stuff. And so the, the entire OSHA rule here is being promulgated in idiotic fashion. It is not designed to be upheld, but it's going to have some pretty significant downstream effects. This is why I don't think that it's actually ever going to be implemented. I think what it's going to be done, what's going to happen here is that it's going to be used as an excuse by big businesses to say that they have to do it. And then Biden is just going to lose his court case and that's going to be the end of it. Because here's the problem for Democrats. If this thing actually goes into effect, it's going to absolutely cripple the economy. And it's just going to be horrible for the economy. For example, truckers are not exempted from this. Okay, truckers are not exempted from these regulations. If you lose 20% of truckers, you think you got supply chain problems right now? Just wait. The White House Deputy Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, she says, don't worry, the VAX mandate isn't going to affect the supply chain. Yeah, it, you're just forcing people to fire their employees. That's not going to affect the supply chain at all. If you're asking, like, if we think the, the, the rules impact supply chain, the answer is no. We don't think that it will. Uh, first of all, vaccine requirements work. We, we have talked about that. We've given examples. Like, earlier adopters have seen strong compliance, 99% at United Airlines, 99% at Houston Methodist, 99.5% at Rutgers University. Uh, recently, Tyson's Food announced that 96% of its workers got vaccinated uh, ahead of its deadline. So the emergency temporary standard is an even playing field across all employers with 100 or more workers. Okay, one of the reasons, by the way, these percentages are so high is because when you fire everyone or force them to quit, if they're not vaccinated, your percentages go up. Amazing how that works. When somebody's no longer an employee, they don't get counted in your percentage. Governors or attorneys general from more than a dozen states have begun filing legal challenges already. This includes the Iowa governor without immediate legal action on Thursday. Christy Noam in South Dakota, she says that they're joining a lawsuit as well. Today, I'm announcing to you that we are joining several other states in filing litigation against this unconstitutional mandate. We will be taking actions to ensure that the federal government remembers that the Constitution does not give them the authority to take this type of action and that people have freedoms and they have personal responsibility over their health and that here in South Dakota, that will be protected and defended. Okay, now here's the thing. This is all going to kick in in January. Okay, we now have this Pfizer pill, which it's apparently just an oral pill you take after you get diagnosed, and it takes your hospitalization and death rate down 90%. It was already down 90% if you took the vaccine. So if you do that, and then you get a breakthrough, and then you take the pill, then basically you're immortal, I think, is the way that the math works there. And even if you don't take the vaccine, we now have a therapeutic that is effectively as effective as the vaccine, because the vaccines are about 90% effective against hospitalization and death. Pfizer says you can now take a pill and that is just as effective as a vaccine in terms of preventing hospitalization and death. So what in the world are they doing here? Again, it is not about stopping the COVID pandemic. It is simply about control. It's simply about control. And, and the backlash is coming, man. The backlash is absolutely coming for the Democrats. It's going to come hard. We'll get to that in just one moment because it's already begun. First, let's talk about a very different kind of sponsor, The Jordan Harbinger Show. It's a podcast you really should take a listen to. I know every day somebody tells you you have to listen to some podcast or other and you say, yeah, sure, I'll get to it. And then you never do. Well, don't let that happen with Jordan's show. Apple named it one of its best of 2018. It's aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works 
and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Each episode is a conversation with a different fascinating guest. When I say there's something for everyone here, I mean that. One episode, for example, Jordan talks to a hostage negotiator from the FBI who offers techniques on how to get people to like and trust you. He's had conversations with people like Kobe Bryant, right? I mean, like it's just interesting stuff. Even if you don't always agree with Jordan, I don't always agree with Jordan. I'm not sure Jordan always agrees with Jordan. What he says on his show is really, really interesting. And he talks with a bunch of people you will learn from. We here at Daily Wire enjoy the show. You should check it out too. JordanHarbinger.com slash start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, go check it out right now. Alrighty, it is that glorious time of the week when I give a shout out to a Daily Wire member. Today, it's Sarah O'Connor on Twitter who took trick or treating to the next level. In the picture, Sarah and her fellow are both clutching the world's greatest tumbler while absolutely killing the costume game. The caption reads, we are celebrating All Hallows' Eve by dressing up as Ben Shapiro and his wife was a doctor, folks, while drinking from the elite beverage vessel, the leftist tears tumbler. Thanks, Daily Wire, for fighting the culture war. Keep fighting the good fight. We stand with you. That's an excellent costume of a very handsome man, a very beautiful woman. Yeah, I mean, like what they're modeling on. Thanks for the pick and encouragement and for being a Daily Wire member. As you may or may not be aware, the Daily Wire filed a lawsuit against the federal government yesterday. Well, because this is an authoritarian anti-American move. Right? We have to stop it. The Biden administration now ordering that any employer with over 100 employees has to require employees to be vaxxed against COVID-19 or submit to regular testing. Our lawsuit was filed by Dillon Law Group, Inc., an alliance defending freedom in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. The lawsuit alleges that the Biden administration lacks the constitutional and statutory authority to issue the employer mandate and that the mandate fails to meet the requirements for issuing a rule taking effect immediately without the normal process of considering public comments. The mandate's unconstitutional. We're not standing for it here at Daily Wire. Our employees and yours, by the way, deserve to keep their medical histories private, have autonomy over their bodies and honor any of their religious beliefs. I'm pro-vax. This isn't about that. We stand with our employees' rights as we do with the rights of every single American. The Biden administration has warned that any companies that don't comply with this federal overreach could be fined as much as $136,000 per violation. So we need your help. If you're not a member yet, please consider joining us today. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Enter code do not comply at checkout. You'll receive 25% off your membership. You'll be fighting the unconstitutional mandate with us. We appreciate your help. We won't comply. You shouldn't either. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. The blowback to Democrats' command and control beliefs about the United States. That blowback is strong and it is it already has teeth. And the Biden administration knows it, and they are flailing around over it. So honestly, the best story of election night was not even what happened in Virginia. It was the fact that a truck driver defeated the New Jersey state Senate leader. Like, that is hysterical. It was a truck driver named Ed Durr. He spent, I kid you not, about $153 on his campaign. $153 on his campaign. $66.64 of that went to Dunkin' Donuts. That's a campaign, my friends. Yes, 153 bucks spent on the campaign, 66 bucks to Dunkin' Donuts. And he defeated one of the most powerful people in New Jersey, the state Senate president, Stephen Sweeney. He beat him by about 2,000 votes. And so it turns out that the reason that the guy ran for office in the first place is he was denied, he was denied a concealed carry permit in a may carry jurisdiction, right? meaning that if the government allows you, you may carry. And then he was denied a permit which it's perverse. I mean, I lived in a may carry jurisdiction in, in Los Angeles. And basically, unless you knew somebody, you weren't getting a concealed carry permit. So it's a ridiculous law. New Jersey has those kind of laws. 
He got rejected, so he ran for office. And, uh, and here is what he said about what he plans to do. Ed, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get to the Capitol in Trenton? Uh, I really don't know. That's, that's the key factor. I don't know what I don't know, so I will learn what I need to know. And I'm going to guarantee you one thing. I will be the voice and people will hear me because if there's one thing people will learn about me, I got a big mouth and I don't <laughs> shut up. When I want to be heard, I'm going to be heard. Yeah, so honestly, I wish more of our legislators had this feeling. What's the first thing you're going to do? I have no idea because I don't know what is going to confront me when I get to this place. Like, it's not bad that regular people are part of our legislature. In fact, I think that most of the experts in our legislature suck at their jobs. Okay, so meanwhile, the Democrats, who just took a shellacking earlier this week, just a brutal shellacking. Everybody knows that leading up to 2022, their prospects are really, really poor. So what are they doing? They're doubling down on the idea that all Republicans are racist. We got this, it's sort of a microcosm of what happened right after Trump won. So right after Trump won, there was a brief moment in time where Democrats in the media were like, who are these Trump voters? Maybe we should go and talk to them. And then after about 32 seconds, they said, oh, they're a bunch of racists. We don't need to talk to them. It's about Russia and racism, of course. Well, they just skipped right over that 32 seconds of self-reflection over at the White House and then went right to, yeah, everybody's a racist. It's because the Republicans are racist. So here is uh, Karen Jean-Pierre talking about, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, the uh, Deputy White House Press Secretary, talking about how Republicans only won in Virginia because they lied about critical race theory. Good luck with this one. Republicans are lying. They're not being honest. They're not being truthful about where we stand. And they're, and they're cynically trying to use our kids as a political football. They're talking about our kids when it's, when it's election season, but they won't vote for, for them when it matters. You know, Republicans did not vote for the American Rescue Plan. The American Rescue Plan, in that plan, it had funding to make sure that schools were open, to make sure that our okay, kids this is got a joke. back to school. This is a joke. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, one of my favorite things Democrats are saying right now, it's actually a headline over at the Huffington Post right now. And I want to read it verbatim because it really speaks to what Democrats believe about how politics are supposed to work. Quote, Republicans want parents to be angry. Democrats are trying to give them money. That's what Democrats think about politics, that all parents want is just to be handed money by the government. That's all they want. They don't want control over their kids' lives. They don't want control over their kids' education. They just want to sit down and shut up and be paid off. Good luck with that message. It turns out that most parents are, are concerned mainly with raising their children. And if there are strings attached to the cash, or we're supposed to sit by and let crappy school boards decide what our kids learn in schools about racial essentialism, the answer is no. So Democrats, instead of saying, maybe we should move away from this critical race theory nonsense, instead they're doubling down. They're saying they're, they're lying about critical race theory. It doesn't exist. It's a bugaboo. Simultaneously, they're saying it's super important and your kids have to be taught it. You can see this conflict between, for example, Stephen Colbert and Michael Eric Dyson. So here is Stephen Colbert last night mimicking the White House, saying that CRT doesn't exist. It's a figment of your imagination. Claims about what's being taught in history classes have become the latest racist dog whistle. For instance, on Monday, Youngkin made this promise. Let me be clear, on day one, we will not have political agendas in the classroom and I will ban critical race theory. Here's the thing. Critical race theory is not taught at the K through 12 level in Virginia. Wow, that was fast. Promises made, promises kept. It doesn't exist. Okay, obviously this is a semantic game that people on the left like to play. So what they do is they say critical race theory, really, it doesn't exist, critical race theory. It's just that when you dumb it down and you turn it into Ibram X. Kendi racial essentialism about how privilege exists in all the institutions of American life and white kids should know that they benefit from that privilege and black kids are inherently victims, 
That does make it into the classroom. It makes it into the classroom all the time. So they'll simultaneously say CRT doesn't exist. And then they will say that CRT is deeply vital to teach to kids. So here's Michael Eric Dyson yesterday saying we have to make kids uncomfortable. We must make kids uncomfortable. We got to face some uncomfortable truths. And the white comfort cannot be the predicate for making sure that race is not a a strategy that shouldn't be used. Discomfort is a critical tool to make people learn. When I go to class, I'm talking about my white students, my black students, my Latino students, my Asian students across the board. I am trying to make you uncomfortable enough with the ignorance that you've inherited so that you can begin to engage in some serious thinking about the way the world works. We have to make kids uncomfortable. Okay, what he means by that, Michael Eric Dyson, is pretty clear because Michael Eric Dyson is a proponent of Ibram X. Kendi style anti-racism, which is an offshoot of critical race theory. I mean, this is the same guy who's telling you that he wants to teach your kids is also saying that the brand new black lieutenant governor of the state of Virginia is actually secretly white. She's secretly white. So he wants to teach racial essentialism to your kids. That's who this is. This is the person saying that he wants to teach your kids to feel uncomfortable. What kind of stuff do you think he's teaching? Why don't we ask him? Here's Michael Eric Dyson. The problem is here, they want they want white supremacy by ventriloquist effect. There is a black mouth moving, but a white idea through the running on the runway of the tongue of a figure who justifies and legitimates uh, the white supremacist practices. We know that we can internalize in our own minds, in our own subconscious, in our own bodies, the very principles that are undoing us. So to have a black face uh, speaking in behalf of a white supremacist legacy is nothing new. Don't worry, they're not teaching critical race theory. They just have to make your kids uncomfortable. Also, critical race theory doesn't exist. And if you oppose it, too bad. We want to give you money. And Republicans are bad. Good job, guys. This is, It's going to be a winning message. I can see how this is going to work out real well for you. The other winning message Democrats are pushing, of course, is what if we spend more money? Now, there are a few problems with this. Number one, Americans are not clamoring for more government spending at this point. Build Back Better is not popular. Even the bipartisan infrastructure plan, it might be sort of like, okay, But it's not blowing the doors off. Nobody's clamoring for the bipartisan infrastructure plan to pass at this point. CNN did a report. But the disconnect is that if you complain about inflation, then this means that you are out of touch with the people. So this is kind of an incredible story. So yesterday, Brianna Keeler over at CNN, she did a report about a family. Okay, this family is a family of 11. They have nine kids. They're feeding nine kids. Seven of those kids are adopted or fostered. Okay, so honestly, these people sound like saints. I mean, to adopt or foster seven kids and you have two of your own, pretty incredible behavior. Okay, so Brianna Keller Keeler does a report on them and she talks about how inflation is really taking a chunk out of their pocketbook. Here's what the report said. We have uh, two biological kids and then my wife and I have a big heart for adoption. So we adopted a sibling group of two, then three, then one. And then we have a, uh, a kid living with us right now who's uh, kind of in a foster situation. It feels like money isn't going as far as it used to. Okay, let's see what we can do. I think probably in June, it was about a dollar's worth a dollar. So now that dollar is worth about 70 cents. All right, now we're moving on to dairy, which is right there. We started seeing everything going up. Grocery prices went up, gallon of milk was $1.99, now it's $2.79. Well, when you buy 12 gallons a week, times four weeks, you know, you're t- that's a lot of money. Okay, and... What did this prompt? Did this prompt anybody on the left side of the aisle, the blue checks on Twitter, to say, actually, that, that sounds pretty damaging, right? I mean, she, she's right. No, instead, you got Jamel Bowie, a man who's in touch with the people. He tweeted out, I'm sorry, 12 gallons of milk? Well, yes, I mean, there are 11 people in the house, including nine kids, many of whom apparently are teenagers. 
He says, like if every member of a family of six had one eight ounce glass of milk for every meal on every day of the week, you'd still only need about eight gallons of milk a week. They have 12 people in the house. He says, fair enough. Even then, this is an exceptional family. Not sure they should be used as emblematic. Well done there, Jamel Bowie. Just massive self-own right there. And J- Jonathan Chait does the same thing. Blue check. 12 gallons of milk a week may sound like a lot, but they've actually had to cut out their milk baths on alternate days. They're not taking milk baths. Like, I-, I-, I love this. So just, s- just sneer at people who are hurting at the-, at the checkout counter. Just sneer at them. Because who needs 12 gallons of milk a week? Now, again, basic math suggests they need 12 gallons of milk a week, right? I have three kids. We certainly go through at least three gallons of milk a week. And these are little kids. Okay, so the, the notion that, that a bunch of teenagers, like a family of 11, they're not going to go through 12 gallons of milk a week is crazy. But then you got the whole blue check marks going, milk doesn't even cost $1.99 anywhere. Okay, well, in certain parts of the country, it used to. Like it did. But these are, they are all George. Remember they said in 1992 that George H.W. Bush didn't know how to use one of those, one of those checkout guns at the, at the checkout counter? And they mocked him for it. He didn't know how they worked. And it really wasn't true. These people are that. They actually are that. They don't, they're all the old lady from Arrested Development. What does a banana cost? Like $7? Like that, that, that's what they are. And then they're telling you how they're going to fix the economy. Yeah, good luck with this, guys. I mean, this is what you really want to run it, but apparently they do. Apparently they do. Apparently they think more cowbell, as always, doubling down on stupid. We're going to talk racism, and we're going to pretend that the American people don't know what they're talking about, and we have to boss them around in every possible way. Our elites are just morons. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that when people say free, they should mean, you know, actually free. When you switch to Pure Talk today, you will get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. No four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last, rugged screen, quick-charging battery, top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family will save almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Switch to my cell phone company. I've been using Pure Talk for years at this point. I tell you that coverage is excellent. I trust them. You can too. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and switch to my cell phone company today. puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Okay, speaking of which, I have to bring you this because it's just astonishing. So there is some tape that has now emerged from a presentation for Microsoft. Okay, all of your intellectual betters, all the people who run the world, who design the products that you use, who want to run your political life, these people have been indoctrinated in woke tropes and then they're cramming them down on you and they sound like idiots. They sound like morons. And if I were going to have somebody babysit my kids, it would certainly be the couple that adopted the nine and have to buy 12 gallons of milk a week and not the people who are acting as project managers for these particular sections at, at Microsoft. And I will show you why. So a couple of clips from this Microsoft session. And again, it shows you who the elites are in our society. They are completely out of touch with everyday Americans, completely out of touch with everyday Americans. So here is a Microsoft project manager introducing herself to all the people who are interested in learning about what Microsoft is doing, their new products. Okay, here we go. My name is Allison Wines. I'm a senior program manager in our developer tools division. I'm an Asian and white female with dark brown hair wearing a red sleeveless top. 
Okay, and uh, and it continued along these lines. Here are a couple of marketing managers introducing themselves. Hello, everyone. I'm Natalia Godilla. I'm a Caucasian woman with long blonde hair, and I go by she, her. I'm a product marketing lead here at Microsoft and co-host of the podcast Security Unlocked with this guy. Yes, that would be me. Hello, everyone. I'm Nick Fillingham. I'm a Caucasian man with glasses and a beard. I go by he, him, and I'm a security evangelist here at Microsoft. I go by he, him, and she, her. Okay, so... Apparently, the reason they were describing their races is for the blind people, really, for the visually impaired in the audience. So I have a question. You're literally saying to the literally colorblind that color matters. This is your pitch. Your pitch is that people who are literally incapable physically of seeing color must be told what your race is. Why exactly? Unclear. Also, we can't just assume from your voice whether you're a she, her or a he, him. Instead, you have to name it. Honestly, that wasn't even the worst part of this. That Alison Wines lady, she actually began her little riff by explaining that Microsoft's headquarters sat on stolen Native American land. I kid you not. First, we want to acknowledge that the land where the Microsoft campus is situated was traditionally occupied by the Sammamish, the Duwamish, the Snoqualmie, the Suquamish, the Muckleshoot, the Snohomish, the Tulalip, and other Coast Salish peoples since time immemorial. So if Microsoft wants to, they could just surrender their headquarters to the local tribe. They could do that. They could just give the building over. It's worth a lot of money. And it seems like they're sitting on stolen land from what I've been told. Okay, so these woke idiots are the people who run our society. They're the elites who believe they should control every institutional area of American life. And the predictable outcome of this is that even when the people speak up, they will just ignore them. This holds true in the Democratic halls of power. So Nancy Pelosi right now, as we speak, is attempting to ram through a, a Build Back Better plan that they ran out the, the bill like late last night. It's 2,000 pages. No one has read this thing. They're trying to run this out, despite the fact that the American people, again, are not clamoring for it. And the Democrats just took a massive fist to the jaw, electorally speaking. And uh, what's her excuse for doing this? Her excuse is, well, I haven't seen the election analysis. I, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think Democrats were penalized for having not gotten these things done? I, again, I haven't seen that uh, and, and all of the analysis. And I know from my own experience that, uh, uh, the, as I've said to you before, the plural of anecdote is not data. Let's see what the data is as it comes out. Oh, she doesn't know the data. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, she knows the data. She just doesn't care. Because they, she has to ram this through. Now, the problem for her, of course, is that the politics don't actually favor ramming it through. It looks as though the, the Democratic Party is split almost irrevocably at this point between the Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema wing of the party and the AOC wing of the party. Now, AOC's takeaway yesterday from the Virginia loss, by the way, is that they weren't progressive enough in Virginia, which is a hell of a takeaway considering that the candidate she endorsed in Buffalo, India Walton, was the only Democrat actually on the ballot and proceeded to lose by 20 points to a writing candidate. So yeah, clearly Americans are desperate for more progressivism. But Democrats keep hunting for the votes. They keep trying to cram this thing through. What's amazing about this, by the way, is that basically it, it, it is kind of incredible that the progressives are caving this way, truly. So what the progressive plan was, was we are going to hold up infrastructure until Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema sign off on Build Back Better. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema are not signing on to anything that the House is going to pass today. It's not, it's not happening. And they have no interest in, in passing this thing. The actual number on the bill is not $1.85 trillion. It is more like $4 trillion, according to Wharton Business School. And so they're not signing on to it. And the House Democrats know this in the Progressive Caucus. 
So they could hold up infrastructure or they could just vote for infrastructure and surrender. It looks like they're about to do the latter. Nancy Pelosi, for her part, she keeps saying that Build Back Better is not going to increase inflation. Uh, Weird, because uh, I think that it probably is. The other piece was about inflation, and we had the uh, expert opinions, and in fact, very recent today from uh, Moody's uh, that the bill was paid, since it is paid for, it would not uh, increase inflation. And in fact, it would add to our economy because of childcare enabling many more women to fully participate. Oh, so it's going to it's going to be better. It's going to be better. So again, they took a they took a hit right to the jaw and they just keep they keep trucking because they know better than you. They know more than you. And that's all that matters because they are the specials and you are not one of the specials. They are the specials. According to Politico's playbook, Democratic leaders are still facing resistance from centrists who have raised procedural concerns, such as a lack of cost analysis with the push for a vote on the sprawling social policy package this week. Pelosi circulated a letter Thursday night that included budgetary details from White House staff. Several Democrats say they want the details from Congress's independent scorekeepers, not a partisan one. Now, Democrats are going to try and ram this thing through today. One of the problems, of course, is that the caucus goes on vacation next week. Uh, Members of the caucus are set to embark on overseas trips ahead of next week's recess. So they're hitting a deadline. But party leaders failed to corral the votes they needed on Thursday. So it's going to be interesting to see how how they accomplish ramming this thing through, if they can even do it. Joe Manchin, for his part, he's like, you can pass whatever the hell you want. I didn't say I'm going to vote for it. People are concerned. They're concerned about inflation. They're concerned about mm-hmm. the debt. No, no, we don't talk about it, but they are concerned. I can tell you back home in West Virginia, gas prices are enormous. People are having a hard time driving to work and paying 20 or $30 more to fill up. They're going to the grocery stores and getting 30% less. They're about ready to face a very bad winter, we are, we're told, at much higher prices. So, yes, I think we should be upfront, honest, and transparent with American people and do what we can afford to do. Okay, so here's the problem. The Biden administration has every incentive never to be upfront and transparent with the American people. Because if they were, they'd have to acknowledge that they've lied to the American people since the election. The election was all about Joe Biden being moderate. He lied. He's not a moderate. End of story. So he continues to lie. The lies just come fast and furious. Yesterday, Joe Biden ripped Peter Ducey over him asking a question about paying off illegal immigrants to the tune of $450,000 a pop. And now this was a report from the Wall Street Journal that the DOJ was going to sign a settlement with families who had been separated to pay families Each member of the family had been separated, $450,000. So like almost a million bucks. If you're an illegal immigrant dad and you crossed with your kid and then you were separated because you illegally immigrated and under the Flores settlement, if we held you, we had to separate your kid from you, we're going to pay them nearly a million bucks. Thanks to the ACLU and the Biden DOJ. Here is Biden ripping on Peter Ducey for even asking the question. As you were leaving for your overseas trip, there were reports that were surfacing that your administration is planning to pay illegal immigrants who are separated from their families at the border, up to $450,000 each, possibly a million dollars per family. Do you think that that might incentivize more people to come over illegally? If you guys keep sending that garbage out, yeah, but it's not true. So this is a garbage report? Yeah. Okay. So $450,000 per person. Is that what you're saying? That was separated from a family member at the border under, under the last administration. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Um, the ACLU then put out a statement and said, um, it's already happening. And then CNN, CNN was like, uh, yeah, that's not true. Daniel Dale making a rare appearance on CNN these days to critique a Democrat. And he, he's like the man on the side of the milk carton that, that that family of 11 is buying. He just, he, he completely disappeared from CNN's airwaves 
for large swaths of time. Remember, he used to go out there and fire hose how much Trump was lying. And now only occasionally does he does he come out and, and note that Joe Biden is a horrible liar. The Wall Street Journal was correct not reporting garbage when it reported that the Biden administration is in discussions to settle lawsuits brought on behalf of families affected by the family separation policy. And the Wall Street Journal was correct in reporting that these settlement discussions include talks of possible financial compensation. In fact, White House Deputy Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre said today at the White House briefing that President Biden is comfortable with financial compensation as long as it ends up saving taxpayers money and helps people turn the page from the horrors of the Trump days. Okay, so uh, that means Biden was lying. And by the way, the White House acknowledged it. Like, he's so out of it. He's not even a part of his own administration. Here's Corinne Jean-Pierre saying this. The president is perfectly comfortable with the Department of Justice settling with the individuals and families who are currently in litigation with the U.S. government. You know, DOJ can obviously speak more to that process. The president was what he was reacting to uh, was the dollar figure that was mentioned that you mentioned to him yesterday. Uh, as press accounts to date indicate, there's been press accounts on this. DOJ made clear to the plaintiffs that the reported figures are higher than anywhere that a settlement can land. Okay, so there is the White House basically acknowledging that Joe Biden is uh, is full of it. Man's not in control of his own administration, but these are the elites, and so they must be in control of you. So a man who's not in control, as I've said, of his own bowels is going to be in control of every aspect of your life. And then you're supposed to trust the institutions because they've demonstrated such fealty to principle over the past several years. Yeah, the blowback is coming and it's coming hard. Alrighty, we have reached the end of today's show, but we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. First, you can't forget to end your week by checking out The Andrew Clavin Show. Drew's show is every Friday. He's got an exciting evening planned for you. As always, head on over to dailywire.com at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Tune in. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Post producer, Justin Barber. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright, Daily Wire 2021. Hey everybody, this is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. <laughs> 